Well, there's a new book out and it is a must read. It's called If These Walls Could Talk, a celebration of the Sydney Cricket Ground. It began the as a, an idea at a Brabham Foundation dinner back in 2014 when Andrew Webster thought, why don't I put my love of the Sydney Cricket Ground into words? And... Uh, it's a real treat to say I'm joined today on the SCG podcast by Andrew Webster and Australia's number one sports historian, Jeff Armstrong, who actually published the book. Andrew and Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Tim. So, Andrew, tell us first off, I love this. I just love the idea of it. I love the book itself. 2014, what went off in your head to say, I'm going to do this? Well, like all good book ideas, Timmy, it was uh, conceived after about half a bottle of red wine while sitting there listening <laughs> to Steve, Steve Warren, Sachin Tendulka talk at that Bradman dinner, which I'm sure those who attended would recall fondly because you're sitting there in awe of mm. two of the greatest cricketers, greatest sportsmen of all time, and here they are on the stage um, regaling, their, regaling the room with their best anecdotes from the Sydney Cricket Ground. And I'd always love the Cricket Ground like anyone Who's ever been there? You 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 quickly uh, establish a great affinity with the place. There's something special about it every time you walk into it. And I was just sitting there, and and, and Phil Heads just started um, at the cricket ground as uh, their communications director, and and I think it was when 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 Tugger was talking about his last ball century memory, and I, and I just I just texted him. I said I, I want to write a book about the SCG, and it's. Look, it's been a very slow burn since then, as I'm sure Jeff will explain. He's been very patient as publisher and so has uh, so has Hedzie himself and, and everyone at the SCG because we've had lots of ups and downs and also um, COVID didn't really help in the last couple of years, but it's finally come to fruition and we're very, very happy with what we've come up with. Yeah, and, and look, as we go through uh, parts of the book, and we're not going to give it all away, but it's a very personal story. And, Jeff, I know that I'm biased, but it is – the best sports ground in the world, isn't it? It's amazing. And it's for me, it's been amazing since the first time I went there. I think I was 10 and my uncle took me out to see Barry Richards bat. And I can remember, so the thing I remember about the ground then, what's that, 50 years ago, is how green it was. Mm. And the Sher- the, all the ro- we were sat in the Sheridan stand and all the roofs were green. The field was so green and the hill was so green and then up to the scoreboard and it was just the most, it was a cathedral. It was a real magic to the place. And it's funny how how much the ground has changed over the last 50 years and yet in a number of different ways it has stayed the same. And one of the most gorgeous things for me is on the rare occasions when I've man- been able to walk out onto the middle of the SCG, whether it be, you know, for a kick the kick, uh, kick, the kick after a Swans game or mm. at a corporate function, and you realise that you're standing on the same turf. You know, you might be fielding standing in the gully, which Victor Trumper might have done 130 years ago, and uh, you could move around a little bit and stand in the leg field for body line, that sort of thing. And you can look up into the grandstand and it just has this magic place. And I can remember when Andrew first talked about the book and I realised how much he shared the love of the ground that I had, which was actually what so many of my friends and uh people that I've met have and it's, it's been a magic experience. In a world of Instagram, I, I love I love this line. It's a fantastic line. Memories live longer than dreams. And for us that lived in a pre 
Uh, look, I make the analogy between these dreams and Instagram because we live in such a sort of a, a, a photoed world, don't we? But if you look at the richness of your own personal memories, they are just extraordinary. And uh, you had the opportunity to sit down with Alan Davidson and Neil Harvey in those historic dressing rooms yourself, Andrew. Yeah, I did. So that line you just said, which is um – you know, we were contemplating using it as the as the name of the book. We really struggled with the title for quite some time. Um, but that that quote you just rattled off there, Tim, comes from Alan Davidson himself, who obviously uh, passed away recently, very sadly. But you know, I'll always cherish, and I'm sure Jeff will as well, because he was there. The the lunch we had with both Dave and Neil Harvey in the home dressing room, um, and I have to say, before we had that lunch. We were out in the middle of the ground and oh, I get, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. We, and we had <laughs> Harvey and Davidson mm. recalling their great moments in the middle of the cricket ground and what they recalled. And and, and I think it was, Neil, Neil said an amazing line. He said when he got out of the car on Drive Avenue, he said it just all came flooding back. And he said that he, what he remembered, um, the, the, the difference between when he played all those years ago and, and now is that it just the, the ground seems um, seems smaller now because the stands are so much have built it in um, it, because the stands weren't there so much back in his day it seemed much bigger but he just the way that they both those men over the course of that lunch managed to just rattle off their memories like it was yesterday was unbelievable particularly Davo, who talked about being a young kid coming down on the train from the Central Coast, and he was sitting there talking about Sheffield Shield matches and rattling off scores, and I had the tape going, and when I went to write that chapter sometime later and and I went and checked all the, because cricket's just so well covered in t- statistically, and he remembered the scores, he remembered, uh, he remembered uh, uh, innings, he remembered, he remembered bowling figures, to the absolute number, he was spot on. Like his re- recollection was was quite um, quite amazing. So, which is always great for a, a, a writer like me. Time. <laughs> he wants him to vividly remember things. That both those men remembered stuff so vividly it really helped kick off um, the first chapter of the book. And thank God, and God rest his soul, Davo, and uh, we still have Neil Harvey. But thank God that these people have. A, or have had an appetite to tell their stories because we need more of it. So many, Jeff, so many people live remarkable lives and end their lives without ever telling their stories. Well, that's true. The thing that struck me about that, that lunch was one truly one of the great days of my life being in that the dressing room. But the love between those two men, um, mm-hmm. they, they've been friends forever. Alan named uh, his son after Neil and um, – the love those two men had for each other and the camaraderie they recalled. And uh, Andrew's right about the stats. I can, I remember because it was going to be such an important lunch that I, I researched it to the nth degree, so I had all the numbers in my head. And Neil nailed every one. He was amazing. He, he kept not only remembering the stats of his first game at the career ground, but the circumstances, circumstances of his dismissals in both innings. And Alan has so many stories and uh, just just two truly. I, I actually think I was, after Alan uh, died last week, I was thinking if there was some sort of quotient that you could create where you had the greatness of the cricketer and the greatness of the person and put them together, 
Um, Alan Davidson might be the greatest cricketer of all time. He was such a great man. And if that's true, I honestly believe Neil Harvey wouldn't be very far behind him. And, and that, that's true of those two men. Also, a number of other players I've met from that generation, they, they're they just such good people. And and that shines through what Andrew did with that opening chapter to the book, the way that he, he sort of stayed out of Andrew... Uh, Alan and Neil talking, but then brought it all together. I, I just think it, it's just a superb piece of writing. Yeah, Neil Harvey, the, the surviving member of the 1948 team, of course, and all those years ago, back in 1998, I had the opportunity to do a 50th anniversary on the Invincibles, and there were 13 surviving members. But to speak to these guys, Bill Johnston, Ian Johnson, uh, you know, Ernie Toshak, uh, the stories, and Neil Harvey as an 18-year-old, uh, it's a fantastic chapter as well. Now, as we look at Chapter 2, Dragons fans only come in one type, they're tragic, and you two, the boy from Yurunga and <laughs> the the world's best sports historian are tragic Dragons fans. So you must have loved this. Well, I call it more a life sentence, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's great. It's great for, for tragic Dragon fans like myself and Jeff to just recall the glory years, particularly those 11 straight. But this, you know, there's so many different league um, you know, it's great history of, of rugby league at the Sydney Cricket Ground. It's sort of the spiritual home of the game for, for so many decades. But we concentrated on the trilogy of, of grand finals between Wests and St George, 61, 62, 63, culminating in the great image um, of, of Proven and, and Summons in the mud taken by John O'Grady, the Sun Herald photographer, mm. the story behind that pick. But there were so many epic battles between those teams, controversially so. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was great to sort of go back and recall those days. And I, I interviewed both Eddie Lumsden, the late great Eddie Lumsden, and Johnny King, the two wingers from that St George team uh, in a, at a pub in uh, in the Hunter Valley. And I'll cherish that as well, along with the along with a lot of the interviews, I have to say, just managing to go and meet with these icons of Australian sport and just the way that they recalled, it's just the smells and the sounds and the feel, they, they just transported you back to those times and being there. Um, yeah, so that, that was a pretty memorable uh, pr- pretty memorable uh, chapter as well, Timmy. And as you said, it's been a labour of love. It's had its trials and tribulations to get to print and here it is. But the timing when you look at what has happened over the past month or so, it has it's almost been like it was designed to come out now because we've just seen Norm Prove and this colossus. And, Jeff, you and I were discussing this. One of the openers we did for the coverage of the centenary test was Norm running out in his 70s onto the SCG in a jersey and shorts. And just the man himself, um, we don't need to make words up for these types of people like Davidson and Harvey and Proven because – that's the type of people they are. That's true. I actually had a bit of a problem with this chapter, only that I've just written and published the centenary history of St George. And when I was writing the 1963 chapter, I came to the very strong conclusion that there was no corruption, that the referee wasn't crooked, and St George won fair and square. And then in this book, Andrew, being the more balanced journalist, equally a St George fan, but a more balanced journalist, he put both sides and he talked to Noel Kelly and to Chow Hayes and he he quoted uh, the memories of Jack Gibson. And then he went and uh, also put the the words of Darcy Lawler in the chapter as well. So it's a much probably a more balanced chapter than my history of the St George book, though I stand by every word I wrote in the St George book. 
but it did strike a bit of a conundrum for me as a as a publisher to get that right. But I, th- I think again, Andrew's done a, a really good job to get all sides. As for Norm Proven and Arthur Summons, I actually think that um, one of the things about the Gladiators photo that sets it apart is that John O'Grady, when he took the photo, that he photographed two of the genuinely great rugby league men. So when that photo then was turned into the Premiership trophy, it meant we had a celebration of great rugby league men year after year. And I I was always, not gobsmacked, I was just really proud, I guess, that every year when Norm and Arthur or just Arthur or just Norm came on the stage on grand final day, Fans, young and old, applauded them to the last person. They were just two of the most respected statesmen in Australian sport. It, it covers a great breadth of history of the Sydney Cricket Ground and, and and you look into the different sports that were played there with the story of Ray Bartz, of course, in 1974 and uh, the Uruguayan karate chop. You really need to read that when you get the book, people. And, and of course, Plugger's points, Tony Lockett. One of the things that also really caught my eye, Andrew, was – the Kerry Packer and the Don story because being a boy of the 70s, it was so magical to watch cricket with all these players in coloured uniforms. It was the most extraordinary thing I'd ever seen being a sports lover. But for the great Sir Donald Bradman, it wasn't so good. No, not with uh, with World Series cricket. It's well documented how much um, uh, Sir Donald was opposed to it at the time being part of the quote-unquote establishment. But the thing that sort of sets this book apart and this chapter apart is that for the first time we have letters written from Bradman to the late Arthur Morris, who was a trustee at the time, and and Bradman explicitly pointing out just how much he was against the idea of World Series cricket. Um, so they, they're part of the, uh, the Arthur Morris collection at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and they've been so kind at the Cricket Ground to release those, those letters for this book. So, I mean, we've got the great to Donald talking from the grave, which is just remarkable in itself. Um, but there's a part of that chapter you might have read, Timmy, where uh, where Packer many years later, as part of um, as part of a announcement for Channel Nine taking on the Rugby League broadcast rights and doing a a, a media conference in the middle of the ground mm-hmm. and going out there at the request of John Quayle and just being taken aback by being there and he walked over to where the pitch was and he and he and he said to Quayle I'd never he'd never been on the Sydney cricket ground mm. which which Quayle found amazing which I found amazing at the time because this is a guy who was the chief architect of World Series cricket and and the money behind it and he'd never ever been uh, yeah. in the middle of the Sydney cricket ground where the war was basically won uh, in the second season of World Series cricket, so there's some some incredible. If you throw uh, uh, Kerry Packer and Sir Donald Bradman into a uh, into a chapter, that usually goes all right. Absolutely, and as you say, in the second season, and Richie Banno, God rest his soul, used to speak so well about that particular day nighter when they flung the gates open and and they'd arrive because early on in World Series cricket, it was it was played at various other grounds, uh, VFL Park in, in Melbourne and the Showground in in Sydney, uh, Jeff. Yeah, look, this chapter captures something about the book that will appeal, I think, really will appeal to SCG members and long-time fans. I was at the first night game. I was, would have been 16, maybe 17. And, uh, in fact, no, I'd just done, finished HSC. And um, I got to the ground early, as I tended to do, and me and a mate of mine snuck into the Bradman stand, the top deck of the Bradman stand, and sat in the front row. 
So we, I was there watching the crowd fill up. That in itself was amazing. The lights came on, which, which was the most amazing thing for a cricket game. But I was there, and this book looks at different events over the last 50 years that I think so many members will go, hey, I was there for that. I remember where I was for that moment. And, uh, you know, we've got a photograph in the book of the ground from the day before the first night game when they were testing the lights. And... Um, the memories of people like Ian Chapel and Greg Chapel who, who played in that game. Um, it, it's a, yeah, it is a real, I was there moment. And there's a few of those throughout the book. Hey, Tim, I tried yeah. throughout for the, for the book to mm. talk to as many, get as many different perspectives as possible from people that were in the stands who were, who were um, on both sides of both teams, who, who were officials or whatnot. So it was that, that sort of, um, I just wanted so many different perspectives for it that I could possibly get. And I, mm. I think, which was hard, which made it a really long, long uh, process to do. But I just wanted to get so many different uh, perspectives in it, uh, and, from, and all the way through from World Series cricket through to through to the end to Wayvade and 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 Steve Waugh's last ball century. Yeah, and, and that's what's given it such richness and colour and such a, a wonderful read. And, I, and I'll say it; it's a perfect. It's a perfect gift for Christmas. It absolutely is. What about Steve Mortimer um, whacking his arms on the turf? New South Wales finally getting a victory in 1985. That, of course, is up there for all to see at the Centre of Excellence for New South Wales Rugby League where they're based. But that was a remarkable time in the history of the game of rugby league. And, of course, this state of origin concept, only five years old back in 1980, which they said would never last. I have to say, because I cover rugby league mostly on a day-to-day basis, and going back and watching all three matches of the 1984 and 1985 Origin Series, let's just say the bunker would have had a pretty busy time, I reckon. <laughs> and the match review committee. And the match review committee. I loved <laughs> – everyone talked about the, the late great Barry Gomesall being um, favouring Queensland. The grasshopper. Some, some, ju- some dubious decisions. Let me just say I think the grasshopper actually just had dubious decisions across – both teams <laughs> could have gone either way. I don't know if Barry really knew what he was doing in some of those matches, but, um, yeah, just remarkable time in the history of State of Origin, particularly that image of Steve Mortimer collapsing to the SCG turf in absolute, I think relief is a word that he uses in the book. There wasn't so much jubilation, but, um, yeah, it's, it's and, and again, just the way that those New South Wales and Queensland players will manage, manage to recall just how how um, those matches were. Wally Lewis always tells me this incredible story about he never, ever felt more upset in his time in, uh, in football as when he got booed on the Sydney cricket ground <laughs> as Australian captain. And a lot of it relates to those state of origins where, you know, he was the king. He was... Yeah. He was so he was so dominant in those matches. Yet New South Wales still managed to get over the top of them in 1985 and 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 win the series for the first time and a really important part of Origin history. Yeah, he had us in tears many times, didn't he? While he was being New South Wales fan, so it's hard to feel too sorry for him. But like power and the passion, the the conversation that you've had with Peter Garrett in the book and the history that 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 evokes in him and his world is fantastic. As you mentioned, Tony Lockett, and of course the genesis of the book largely out of that um, last uh, ball boundary by Steve Waugh, which was quite extraordinary. Jeff, the the finish of the book it was a brave finish by Andrew to finish with the death of Philip Hughes and um, 
this was a tough time for so many people. Um, I know personally, having done stories on him and 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 co-hosting the TV coverage of his service up there, it was a very very emotional, difficult time. Yeah, I um I thought it was really important that Philip Hughes was recognised in this book, and my feeling as a publisher was that it was wrong to finish with that chapter to to finish on such a tragic episode in the grounds history and my author said no no it'll be okay it'll be okay and i think right up until the day that andrew delivered that chapter i was still very very hesitant i wanted it in the book it had to be in the book but um i didn't like the idea of it finishing but andrew uh he was he we wanted it that way and when he delivered the chapter and I saw the words of people like uh, Michael Clark and uh, David Warner, mm-hmm. I realised that actually Andrew was completely right and I was wrong. And uh, I think Tony Shepard, the SCG chairman, says in, the, uh, in his foreword to the book that it, was very, that it was a very brave author that would do this, and I guess that's true. But, um, yeah, the book does end really, really well, and I'm really glad that we did it that way. And you, and you grew up, you grew up down the road from where where he he lived. His yeah, yeah 15 minute drive north of um of Maxwell, a little town called Yarunga. That's where I grew up. So I, I knew how much he, he his career really uh, affected that region, along with Greg Inglis, obviously. And mm. also, I also learned pretty quickly the devastating effect it had on the on the region when it happened. Um, I'd met Philip a few times. Uh, he was an incredible young bloke. He was always full of life. I knew, I know Michael Clark well, and I knew how much it affected Pup. So I covered all of that, including the funeral of Maxwell, very closely. And I know it was a tragedy, but the, but it also showed me how close the cricketing family was, and also just how how the SCG. Um, brings all those people back and how they also remember him. Like that's the thing with the SCG. They don't they don't see it as the place. It'll always be the place where their great mate lost his life. But it's also the place where they come and remember him. And I there's I had some pretty amazing interviews with both Michael Clark and Dave Warner for that chapter. Um that that made me feel like confident that that was the way that it uh, it should should be the it should end the book. So um, I, I'm glad that Jeff and and the cricket ground and Tony Shepherd had faith in me to end it that way. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty touching end to into uh, the end of the book. Yeah, it's touching and it and it's powerful as well. And if these walls could talk, we we won't uh, we won't say too much more about it because we want people to read it because they'll be doing themselves a favour. It's a fantastic piece of work. Congratulations, Andrew, and congratulations to you, Mr. Armstrong. I just want to ask one last question, and it's a personal question to both of you. I know how I feel when I walk into the Sydney cricket ground, having been a boy that grew up in Western Sydney, catching the Red Rattler in and sitting in the bob stand and buying the peanuts in the shell or sugar coated. Even now, as a as a, an ambassador for them and having worked there many years, how do you feel, Andrew, when you when you walk in to the Sydney cricket ground? Oh, I I like Jeff said earlier, I, all the all the history comes back from me because I grew up out of Sydney and grew up on the north coast. The very first time I got to go there was. Uh, in the mid-90s when Michael Bevan hit four off the last ball in that mm. one day match against the West Indies. I've been in love with the ground ever since. So I was there when Steve Waugh hit four off the last ball, sitting at the back of the uh, 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 
a noble stand, getting some horrifically sunburned off the glare of the ground. But like like everyone, I just I, mm. I walk out, I walk into that ground, and I look at those old stands, and it all comes flooding back to me about the history of the ground. I really have to say I've been really fortunate enough to do um, a lot of great things in my career. It's taken me all over the world. I've covered great events, but and I've written, you know, this is my seventh book. But I have to say, this is the biggest honour of my career, getting to write about the ground that I love the most. Yeah, beautifully said. What, what about you, Jeff? I suppose it's got a bit of a red, red and white flavour. Oh no, it's just funny when I, I've, I've been to the ground a lot. It's funny how I think the SCG is part of Sydney's history. You know, perhaps unlike any other landmark. I mean, it goes back to the 1870s. I mean, the the Harbour Bridge was built. It was opened in the 1932, I think, and the Opera House in 1973. And you know, the ground goes right back, and the the experience we've all had as fans, whether we were there in the 1870s or today, mm. is we usually go with other people. And what I yeah. think about yeah. when I get out of the ground is where I was sitting for different events and who I was with. And the the best experiences I've had of the SCG, two parts. One of the, the great sporting moments, uh, such as Steve's last ball of the day, 100, but also the days I spent with my mates and, um, you know, I remember the first, that game when I saw Barry Richards bat, I was there with my uncle. Uh, I remember going to the, the career ground to see St George get absolutely flogged by East in 75 with my dad, um, you know, with my mates at St George grand finals, won and lost. Mm. Um, that's the thing. And I think that's, I think that's the thing for so many sporting fans, you know, from the country. So I can imagine people from the country who would come mm. down for their mm. annual pilgrimage for the Test match in Sydney, and they would re- remember the people who they're with, who they sit next to every year. You know, there's a real community feel to the SCG, and, and I, I really treasure that. And and that hasn't changed with the change with all the, you know, that with all the new grandstands. Uh, it, it's always been that way, and it's a special yep. part yeah. of Sydney, and it's been a special part of my life. And Andrew, I'll leave the final word to you. It's even got more significance now having been through the couple of years that we've been through and, you know, a lot of the country folk couldn't come to the, the Sydney Test match. So um, over this next little period, it's going to be a wonderful celebration of this great sporting ground. Absolutely. Can you imagine that Test match? The real, I've, already, I've got people hitting me up for tickets already, which I don't understand. <laughs> I only wrote a book about the joint. I can't, I, can't get, I can't get them free tickets, but I might have to call Phil Heads and ask. But there is a lot of... Oh, they, they are they are a very very coveted ticket at the moment. The, a ticket mm. to the Ashes Test uh, in early January. So look out. Absolutely, and Ashes Test to boot. If these walls could talk, a celebration of the Sydney Cricket Ground. Andrew Webster, Jeff Armstrong, thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim.